Hello and welcome to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Skinner, and this week I'm joined by EC correspondent and, well, guest host, or at this point, regular host, uh, Tom Grunshaw. Welcome, Tom. Thanks for having me back, Nick. It's not been so long since the last one, I guess. No, yes. Uh, Tim, Tim and Bez are still both very busy with uh, various things going on in uh, in terms of weather events in the Pacific and, and home life for Bez. So we're, we're still got a, a rotating cast of, of EC faces. Uh, but yeah, this this week we've got African qualifiers. Uh, we, we have the T20 World Cup men's qualifiers that have just been run in Namibia. And we've got the women's equivalent just about to start in Uganda and a little bit of Asia Cup. Uh, Under-19s just sort of tacked on on the end there, but uh, a very African feel this week. Uh, So we'll start with the event that's just finished, the Men's Africa Qualifier for the T20 World Cup. And, uh, I mean, the the headline, I think, would be fair to say is Uganda through to their first senior ICC event. Uh, They came in second behind Namibia, who pretty much cruised through the whole tournament. They were basically a a cut above everyone else. And, yeah, Zimbabwe crashed out, uh, only placed third in the qualifier, meaning that they don't get one of the two final slots for the 20-team event next year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's that's the big news, is seeing Uganda for the very first time at a World Cup. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't want to say it was a, a, a total shock or a total upset, but it was, I think, quite a big surprise to, to all of us that, um, you know, you get Uganda overcame Zimbabwe and then played well enough to see off uh, the chasing pack as well. They had Kenya, Nigeria, Tanzania, and Rwanda, who all who were also eliminated, and yeah, it puts Uganda through to their first senior ICC event as an independent member. They played a handful of under nineteen men's World Cups in in the past uh, since they became an independent member of the ICC in the in the late nineteen nineties. Uh, this is their their first senior event. Yes, and uh, a hell of a story for uh, podcast favourite Frank Nasubuga, who uh, quite possibly, after making his debut in, uh, in in the sort of mid to late 90s, still going strong, and um, he actually started playing for the East and Central Africa team, the, the old uh, sort of amalgamated side that the ICC used to run before Uganda... Tanzania and um, a couple of others separated into their own entities, and so now he's finally coming to uh, to a World Cup as with with Uganda after a 20 plus year career. So uh, congratulations to Frank and you know everyone in this Ugandan side who's uh, who's been so good. I, I guess looking uh, at the the context that you mentioned, yeah, Zimbabwe, yeah, I mean a real surprise honestly that they couldn't grab one of the the top two spots, and you know Uganda they were. Good, but the the fact that they didn't sort of choke, I mean, yes, they've beaten Kenya, I think it's six out of seven times now in, in their last few encounters, but they, they weren't 100% honestly the whole way through. Uh, there was a couple of moments, even in that game, where Kenya weren't a million miles away from the, from the DLS target, uh, but uh, yeah, eventually Uganda managed to sort of hold their nerve and... Um, and, and bowl Kenya out and, and win pretty comfortably by, by 30-odd runs to put themselves into a very good position with only Rwanda to come. And obviously, they, they won very comfortably against Rwanda, as, as you would expect. Yeah, let's let's kind of... Uh, let's look into Uganda's performance overall because I, I honestly... I think they can still get better. They 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 were a bit nervy against Zimbabwe. They, they bowled very well, but their batting looked a bit wobbly at times. And, you know, they only got there at the, you know, the very end. So, you know, the fact that they could put together a, a tournament without really kind of dominating and, and still qualify, to me, that's a, a good sign in, in a funny way is that because, 
it shows that they've still got some upside. And, you know, you look ahead to uh, the World Cup and probably a couple of guys coming back into the team, you know, Cosmos Kiwuta and Juma Miyagi, the, the two uh, young seam bowlers who, who are you know, quite exciting prospects. They were both missing with injury this time. Um, and, you know, Frank Akinkwaza, Arnold Otwani, guys who've, um, we believe they're currently playing cricket in the UK. So maybe they'll come back to the to the Kenyan squad or, you know, we're not 100% sure what, what's going on with that. You know, so Kiwata, Miyagi, Akinkwaza, Otwani, you know, that's, that's four guys who probably would be among the first choice uh, selections for the team. So that strengthens them going forward if, if they do get a full strength team uh, to, to the USA and the West Indies. But um, yeah, I mean, pretty good performance against Namibia. They were sloppy in the field, which honestly cost them, even though they kind of had Namibia in, in just a slight wobble early on, but you know, they couldn't really capitalize. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, Riazad Ali Shah seems to have picked up a yard of pace and, and his bowling's really come along. He's always been uh, good down the order, uh, you know, bashing sixes, but he, he's he's been able to uh, really work on his bowling and, you know, allied with Bilal Hassan and um, those those two young quicks, uh, Kiwata and Miyagi, that, that forms a pretty handy uh, seam bowling attack. And obviously we've got, um, you know, Frank de Supergur, of course, uh, Henry Senyondo, and, and a couple of others uh, on on the spin uh, in the spin department. Um, poor old Frank de Supergur, he didn't play that many games this tournament actually, and against Namibia, <laughs> he was one of the uh, victims of the the dropped catches. In that Nico Darwin got dropped, I think maybe even twice, at least once off off one of off his first over, and then in his second over, Darwin smacked him back over his head for a couple of sixes, and uh, you could see <laughs> you could see on Frank's face, you know, looking at his teammates, you know, come on guys, <laughs> we we should have had this guy out the first time. But um, yeah, yeah. So overall. Uganda with with some upside and and still making it is is very uh, encouraging and just once again shows the depth that we're you know we're seeing so often in African cricket. Yeah, they've had a had a very good run even without playing at 100% and I think you look at the the, the Zimbabwe game in particular normally for for a team that was ranked what I think 10 maybe 15 places below Zimbabwe at the start of that game to win that game you'd expect that Uganda would have to have you know a 9 out of 10 10 out of 10 performance and I don't think that they really did they didn't you know put together a a complete game and nobody well a couple of players had good innings but nobody you know you know had like a a one-man show or something like that so I think it shows both that Uganda could certainly reach a higher a higher level they've certainly got potential to go better I think it also reflects that Zimbabwe have had a a a very poor couple of games and we'll, we'll certainly come back to that in a bit but yeah, I think um, lots of throughout the tournament, lots of um, small performances from lots of players in the, the Uganda side, which which shows where they could possibly get to. Riza Ali Shah, as you've mentioned, bowl, bowling quite well, but also batting fantastically as well. He was key in that uh, that that win over Zimbabwe, including taking down Tendai Chitara in the uh, in in the third from last over, which really you know swung swung the game for them. But there's lots of other little bits here and there. Dinesh Nakrani was also very good in that Zimbabwe game. Alpesh Ramjani was good against Namibia. He got three wickets. And then you've got, you know, likes of Ronak Patel and, uh, and Simon Sasazi making contributions with the bat. So, yeah, they, they look like they could put together a, a, a strong team when they when they make it to the World Cup. And as you say, if they can bring back some of those missing or injured players, they could go even better. 
Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Alpesh Ramjani. He's he's turning into a, a pretty handy all-rounder. He he batted well in that game against Zimbabwe. I, I think he scored 40 or so. Um, and, I mean, this year, he, he's the leading wicket-taker in terms of uh, a calendar year, I think, maybe ever or certainly certainly this year. Uh, he's taken over 50 wickets <laughs> in, in 25 games, which is pretty handy and, and, I mean, partly just shows how much cricket Uganda's been playing, which... I think is a key component of their success. You know, you, you look at all these um, African tournaments that are <laughs> very often being played at the Gahanga in Rwanda, and, and we always say, you know, it's great that so much cricket is being played there because it, it just lifts the standard of everyone who, who is playing these games all the time. And yeah, I, I think Uganda is, is proof of that. You know, they've, they've just played a load of cricket and they're, they're really pretty well oiled side, even though they're missing some guys. And because they've had so many games to kind of bring in uh, you know, fringe players and, and younger guys and, and guys kind of just making their way into the side. They've got replacements for when, you know, your, your top two bowlers get knocked out by injury or, you know, when a couple of senior batters are, are missing for various reasons. They've got options and, uh, you know, it just goes to show there's no substitute in terms of, well, I mean, associate cricket or any cricket really for just playing a whole bunch of matches and, and, and being match fit and having a, a, a pool, a deep pool of players to select from and, Uganda have have shown the the successful model here. Yeah, um, uh, as you say, and I think there's been a couple of commentators and uh, and journalists, you know, putting this down to a quality pathway. And I certainly don't disagree that you know that the pathways that we have now from the ICC, particularly in T20, are good. But as you say, it's all the cricket that Uganda are playing outside of the ICC pathways, and you know the the, the relative competitiveness of these teams in East Africa, but also beyond in, in Central and West and Southern Africa as well, that they are getting all this cricket and they are, you know, growing as a team and, you know, um, a rising tide floating all boats, as, as we like to say. So, yeah, very things working out very well for, for, for Uganda. And, you know, they're, they're going to the World Cup as a result. Yeah, and I mean, looking ahead to that, um, you, you put down, I mean, we, we don't know for sure the groups that are going to be splitting up these these 20 teams into, um, yeah, four groups of five. So most likely Uganda will be up against uh, three full members and one associate or, you know, do, do you see them nabbing a game or two here uh, or is that a bit too uh, optimistic? Because I, I guess they are the lowest ranked team. I know the rankings uh, are pretty dubious at times, um, but Probably on paper the weakest side, but, uh, you know, uh, as we've said, a lot of upside. And it will be interesting at least to see them play across regions and, yeah, certainly against full members. I, I think they might have a, a 100% win record against full members at the moment because the, they, they so rarely play. <laughs> I think they do, yeah, don't they? <laughs> one out of one beats Zimbabwe. Um, yeah, no, I... Uh... I think it depends, you know, who who they come up against at, at the end of the day. Um, you know, they will play one or two other of the the top associates. Um, obviously, they don't have a particularly good record against Namibia. That's probably the you know, the other team that they've played against who have World Cup experience. But then you think you look at some maybe the other teams that are a little bit ahead of them on on the ranking table. PNG, Canada, USA. I don't think they're going to be completely out of their depth at this World Cup. I think they certainly keep up with those other three. And if you know they get drawn against one of those, um, I think I think they'll give them a good game. Certainly, going up against someone like a, a New Zealand or an Australia or an India will be um, a big test for them, and probably more more of a celebration that they that they got there than you know a genuine shot at making a competitive game. But they've 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 earned it. They they 
they've toppled Zimbabwe and they've they've qualified for the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, I I think there is definitely uh, something to be said for that, and uh, you know, the celebration of just getting there because. I'm I'm sure you know if they lose by 150 runs or whatever we'll we'll see some people coming out of the woodwork and say oh why are these associates there you know rah 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 all all the usual but it is a celebration of them being there and and it's 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 a reward in itself you know because um, you mentioned the pathway events the pathway events are, are pretty comprehensive and they've worked their way up through the levels and you know they've they've made it to the to the big event and I, I think having the event just general play rather than the kind of patronizing uh, pre-qualifier thing that they they did for a few events uh, you know that, that it's a celebration of cricket it's it's a tournament that that is all about the diversity in the game and you know we, we need to be celebrating that and and Uganda is the perfect example of that <laughs> it, it makes me think of um you one of uh, emerging cricket's friends uh, Dennis Masali uh he he played some under 19s cricket for Uganda and he mentioned at one point they came up against Alistair Cook and um he, he talked about how they were, they were kind of just all watching him play because you know coming up against someone of that level is you know that, that that's beyond what they would ever see you know back home in in Uganda and and so you know even even just being able to you know watch a, a player of that quality up close is, is is helpful to a team that's that's on the rise I guess you mentioned Namibia there they're the other team that qualify through um, they were yeah very solid throughout this tournament never really troubled uh, a couple of wobbly moments but you know they, they, they have enough quality and depth that you know even if they do lose a few early wickets they can uh, repair the the innings or you know if they go for a few early they'll they'll pull it back and you know we saw that in the match against Zimbabwe uh, we saw that in the match against Uganda we saw that you know even even against Kenya they they lost a couple of early wickets but but they you know recovered pretty comprehensively Namibia basically they're the best team at this level I think at least going based on this tournament which you know Zimbabwe is the full member but Namibia are a a better team a better unit I I would say yeah I think increasingly I'm coming around to the view that certainly in T20s Namibia are uh, a better side than Zimbabwe have been I don't know if the same would cross over to ODIs Uh, Namibia don't maybe have such a good record in the other format but yeah in in T20s I think they've had the the wall over Zimbabwe for for a couple of years now Uh, and um, I don't think they've ever gone up against South Africa but I think they're probably the next next best team so yeah very very good from them they've had a good tournament generally there's not been apart from Nico Davin who absolutely plundered runs off everyone everywhere and I think finished with over 200 behind only Sikandar Raza yeah I think lots of players have chipped in with individual contributions you know they've, they've had five main bowlers in this tournament all with seven or more wickets so Lungamani, Erasmus, Smith, Schultz and Visa sharing the wickets around sharing the workload and you know, you, you look at that on the whole, that's that's quite a good attack. You've got three good seam options there and two two spinners. So I think the side, it looks quite well balanced. And I think, you know, they, they've really made it count, certainly with home advantage. Yeah, Darwin is an interesting one. As, as I've said a couple of times, you know, I think he's the ideal guy at the top of the order there to, to partner with Michael Van Lingen um, because he, he goes hard. But, you know, if he doesn't get runs he pretty much he just gets out and and you know doesn't waste deliveries scratching around so that's basically what you want from a t20 opener is a guy who'll either score quick runs or you know get, get back to the pavilion and, and let someone else have a go and he's been really effective i think yeah that innings against zimbabwe 89 of 40 odd deliveries really took the match away from them and turned it from a potentially you know nervy chase into a cakewalk and 
it, it was so interesting because Zimbabwe had just visited Namibia for a, a five-match T20 series, a, a warm-up series. Um, Namibia won the series 3-2, but you know both teams were kind of experimenting with a few players. But Nico Darwin in that series also smashed a whole bunch of runs, uh, a couple of 50s and you know a, a high strike rate. So you you know you you would have thought they'd have had a decent look at him and might have made some plans, but then. You know, you saw Blessing Mazurabani just feeding him <laughs> dross outside off, and he's you know very happy to accept that and and slap it over the offside and and you know I I was very disappointed with the way uh, Zimbabwe bowled against Namibia because they had just played them five times in a row, and you know you would expect them to at least have have more of an idea of what they were doing. But um, yeah, full credit to Namibia. I think. Obviously, as you say, their, their bowling situation was also very good. You know, they've got a lot of options. Jan Freilink barely bowled at all. Uh, Jan Nicole Lofty-Eaton barely bowled at all as well. Uh, so there's, I guess, a few question marks around kind of what they're doing in, in the middle order there with, with um, you know, Freilink coming in. At, he's been coming in sort of three or four, which I'm not convinced about. I, I think his best role is more around that, you know, maybe seven-ish coming in with a couple of overs to, uh, and just slogging it. I think Freilink, you know, even in that game against uh, against Uganda, he got bogged down a fair bit by by their spinners. And, um, you know, Ramjani, especially in that game for Uganda, was tying them in knots. And, and yeah, I, I, I don't... I think Freilink, he's he's not really the kind of guy who... You know, for example, Ahera Erasmus, you know, you, you look up and he's... 25 or 15 and, and he's only hit one boundary because he's just running twos and you know Jan Freilink's not really that guy he'll either slog you or he'll he'll kind of hack around for singles and I just don't think he's got the game to be coming in in the sort of top middle order so I'm, I'm not sure if that's a like an injury thing and they're you know they want him in the team but he can't bowl uh, I'm not sure it's it's a bit strange to me when they've got guys like um, you know, Lowen Lawrence and, and Devan Lecoq and even Picky Yafrance, I think, is more effective at, at rotating the strike than than Jan Freiling was. Yeah, so I'm I'm not sure what that's about, but I, yeah, I guess a couple of question marks. Yeah, they've got a lot of what I think I would best describe as utility players, which gives Erasmus lots of options as a captain, but sometimes you you have too many options, and it it can lead to some sort of suboptimal results. I know. Namibia have got probably a smaller player pool than than teams of of their level, but hopefully they can get you know a good volume of T20 in between now and the World Cup, and perhaps streamline that selection into maybe a more efficient batting lineup for sure. I think the bowling lineups, you know, uh, uh, they're spoiled for choice, but the, the the batting maybe that that's probably their their weakest suit at the minute. And yeah, um, as you say, despite Zimbabwe's preparation, they seem to come still still be surprised by Nico Davin absolutely plundering them you know I think he he, he went for about 200 strike rate in that innings when they were you know only chasing 130 so that that very much killed the game and I think that well I think that is a good time to to move on to Zimbabwe because yeah even even by their own standards that was uh that was a shocker uh for them with, with bat and ball and obviously losing both to Namibia and Uganda, uh, they, they, they've missed out on the World Cup as a full member. Yeah, and the only full member not to be at that World Cup with, I mean, with 20 teams at the World Cup, you'd be surprised that there are, you know, that any of the full members would miss out. And although, you know, we, we think back to the Europe qualifier and Ireland, you know, they weren't a million miles away from losing to Italy in, in their first game. So that could have that could have been different as well. 
yeah, they only won by eight, eight or ten runs. Yeah, so that that could have been a, a very different story if if Italy had toppled toppled Ireland. But uh, then again, Ireland dug themselves out of a difficult situation where Zimbabwe did not. Yeah, so I mean, I think that's probably more the 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 difference between the teams is you know, Zimbabwe just couldn't put it together when it mattered. Um, you know, guys like yes, Mazurabani is coming back from injury, so I mean, maybe you can. Uh, give him a bit of leeway, but uh, you know, if you have a guy like Richard Ngarava, who was just a class above with the ball, and Sikanda Raza, who's just smashing runs for fun, I mean, really, <laughs> it, it, they 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 have the top run scorer and the highest wicket taker of the tournament, but they're not getting the qualification slot. So that shows you that something is pretty wrong with with the way they've approached these games. I, I think, yeah, as as we say, that game against. Uh, Namibia was 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 bad. Uh, they seem to have not learned anything from their preparatory tour. But the game against Uganda was yeah very dismal. I just I don't know. I think you you look at the way uh, Sikanda Raza was. I don't know. Just some of his decisions as captain I think were not great. Obviously he's uh, one of the first names on the team sheet if you're selecting an eleven, but. I, I wasn't really convinced by his captaincy. He he changed some bowling in in a few strange ways that just kind of let teams off the hook or, or you know allowed them to build up momentum. He was kind of that game against Uganda, for example. Do do you not open the bowling with Richard and Garava? I, I I'm confused. And, and you know, blessing Mizurabani's your your fourth bowler and Tendai Chitara was bad, but at the same time. Like, why are you giving him four overs? Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I think maybe by virtue of being <laughs> their best player, Raza gets like a little bit more rope as captain. But yeah, I, I, I think uh, his his time is either about to come to an end or his his days are very numbered. Well, he's only just been, you know, moved into the role, hasn't he? I think he, I think the Namibia prep tour that they had, I think, was his first first full time. He's sort of filled in a few times, but yeah. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I, it it seemed that they just didn't come with any tactical plans for any of their opponents, and I don't know if you know they thought they didn't need to, and they got complacent, but they, they you know, they did. And we we talk about the bowling in the Uganda game. It was Raza's bowling changes were bizarre. Um, he, he opens that that Uganda's innings when Uganda are chasing one thirty-ish, right? Um, with three overs of spin, and then I think he bowls four overs of spin for the rest of the game. It just went to his seamers after that. Bowls out Muzarabani early. Muzarabani's last over was fantastic. It went for, you know, two runs. It's left Uganda with, with 10 and over. And then um, Tendai Chitara has to bowl his last over and he gets taken down. And on Chitara specifically, I know um, he, he's taken a lot of flack from the Zimbabwean community. But the general reading of the conditions there was really poor. Um, you we look back. I mentioned uh, Dinesh Dakrani's bowling in that game earlier. He bowled a lot of cutters and slower balls in there, mixed it up on a on, on a slow pitch, and was rewarded. And the Zimbabweans, having watched that, because you know um, Uganda bowled first, you know they they went for majority pace on, and when it didn't work, they sticked with majority pace on. And you, you you just sort of wonder if Chitara's you know ha- had the op- had another option to to go to because he didn't use it um if he did and he sort of well he, he went for about twenty runs in that over and it you know took the game away from them 
Yeah, I, I don't think... Yes, he bowled poorly, but I think it's a bit unfair to sort of pin all the blame on, on Chitara because realistically, he, he shouldn't have been in that position. He shouldn't have had to bowl that over. And yeah, as I said, I, I think... I mean, well, we can get into the recriminations in a minute because, you know... <laughs> Dave Horton's been sacked. Um, Hamilton Masakadze has been sacked as a coach and director of cricket, respectively. Is the captain next on the chopping block? I, I mean, you, you think he probably doesn't get that many more chances after failing to get to a World Cup. And honestly, that, that game against Nigeria where he sort of bullied them into withdrawing a man-cat appeal, I mean, yeah, I'm... I've been pretty disappointed with him as as skipper. But yeah, I mean, looking, looking at the sort of off-field drama do we really need another cycle of uh you know recriminations and and uh, internal warfare and sackings i i just i i don't see how that's going to be helpful i mean yes they've failed but you know dave horton has been a pretty steady hand so far <laughs> after a, a cycle of instability you know think back to the 2019 world cup qualifier where they failed to make it and um you know they they hit a bit of a low I mean, you know, the Heath Streak stuff probably didn't help. And, and of course, he's since passed away. You know, a lot's happened in that time. But, you know, I think Horton has been has been a reliable presence. And, and he's the kind of guy you want around to, to do a rebuilding because, you know, they're going to need to replace Williams, Irvine, eventually Raza. I mean, those guys are all kind of 36, 37. Um, so they won't maybe they'll try and stick around to the World Cup in 2027 because it's in Zimbabwe, but, you know, at least one or two of them will be dropping out of the team by then. And you need a guy who's really committed to the cause and, and you know, experienced enough to guide the next generation. And Dave Horton, Dave Horton is that guy. And I think, I think it is a mistake to be getting rid of him because, you know, maybe they can bring on board someone with a, a fancy resume, but I really doubt that they can find someone who is more committed to Zimbabwean cricket than Dave Horton. And that's, I think, what you need. You, you need a, a, an experienced an experienced hand, but also someone who believes in the cause and really wants to bring Zimbabwean cricket forward. And, yeah, I, I, I think it's a mistake. It doesn't help. You know, you, you look at the, the kind of guys who are supposed to be coming through, you know, over the last year or two. You know, Wesley Matavere, uh, Clive Madunde, you know, talents like that, they haven't really kicked on, and, and that hasn't helped. So they've they've had to sort of cling on to uh, the the aging you know, Williams Irvine Raza trio. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, do you think just just sacking a bunch of guys is is really going to help in the in the long run? Because I can't see how that helps them. No, not particularly. I don't think you know playing the the, the blame game here is really going to you know change much in long in the long term. And you know it's going to be another two three years before they get another shot at a global event. So you might as well play the long game with it. Um, Horton has been um, a, a massive step up on um, the, the coach that came before Rajput because oh, Zimbabwe yeah. were in a, in, in a, in a real mess before, before he was sacked. I think he was, you know, kind of one of those part-time dropping coaches when he wasn't, you know, coaching a, coaching a franchise team. But yeah, uh, Horton took over, um, I think just before the, the T20 qualifier last year and they went unbeaten there. Um, obviously qualified for the World Cup, got through the first round. They put, um, I think they beat Ireland, Ireland and Scotland, and then beat Pakistan in the in in, in the Super Twelve stage. So you know, you know, he he had a you know a, a very good start 
in, in what is his first couple of months. And then they missed out on the ODI World Cup. Well, I mean, that tournament was very cutthroat. I don't think you can particularly pin any blame on him for that. And then they've missed out on this. And this seems to be more of a, of a, of a freak occurrence than, you know, a, a total mismanagement. So I think it is a bit knee-jerk to be sacking Horton at, at this stage. Um, Masakadza, I mean, there's been a lot of accusations going around of, of, of nepotism perhaps not in the literal sense, but favoritism, and maybe as director of cricket, he, he he does need to take the fall for that. But again, you know, playing the blame game here, it, I don't think it makes any difference in the long term. You've still got to find replacements for, for these. And, you know, I, I, I think certainly one one of these was, was the wrong decision. I'm not sure about the second one. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, Masakadza, it's interesting because, you know, in theory, he's kind of the ideal guy to be director of cricket, you know, very experienced he was captain for a while, has a lot of uh, links to the kind of cricket scene in Zimbabwe. But as you say, there, there have certainly been some rumours slash accusations of uh, people who are around Masakadza's sort of uh, cricketing circles tend to get more chances than other people. I, I mean, look, I, I'm not a, an expert on Zimbabwean cricket, so I'm not uh, going <laughs> to, you know, I'm not going to say whether the, the accusations are fair or not, but you know, there's there's a few kind of comments from uh, people who know more about Zimbabwe cricket. Um, so yeah, I mean may, maybe I, I don't know. I, I, who who do they replace him with though? That's that's kind of the question. Could they rope in Tatenda Taibu? He's he's been sort of in and out of Zimbabwean cricket over the years. It's a bit of a I don't know love hate relationship. <laughs> it, it seems like uh, every now and then he he gets pulled back in because he wants to help them and then. Uh, kind of gets uh, disgusted of the of the whole process and and <laughs> disappears again for a bit. So I, I don't know. I mean that you know someone like that is probably a, a good option or or even I mean Andy Flower during the qualifiers the ODI qualifiers was talking about how he was surprised at at how how much everything had improved since uh you know a few years ago when it was <laughs> it was a real shambles. Would it would, you know would would someone like that be a a good call? I mean I don't know if they can afford his salary is maybe more the question but you know, a guy like that who who has a, a lot of history in Zimbabwe, but has also been away from Zimbabwe for a while, so he kind of brings a, an outside, you know, an outside viewpoint to maybe try and sort out some of the mess, and and perhaps doesn't have as many uh, links to the Zimbabwean uh, scene as it is today, so he he might not be uh, playing favourites. So I I don't know. That's that's just kind of spitballing, but you know, I think if they're gonna do this uh, sack everyone bit, they should do it properly with with a with a view to actually fixing things rather than just a oh we failed we better sack someone as as a sort of sacrificial offering yeah i've i've not heard either of those names floated around by by anyone in, in the context of um who the next coach is going to be but i don't think they'd be particularly bad choices i mean andy flower you might have to talk him away from 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 his current jobs because obviously he's got a fantastic reputation and is very much in demand so whether or not you know zimbabwe could you know talk talk him into coming home who, who knows uh but yeah certainly i mean it it, it seems as i say it, it, it seems like a very knee-jerk reaction to, to sack the coach but uh, obviously they've got to find a replacement so uh they do need to put thought into this and make a make a good decision because i think otherwise they might flounder around for a, for a couple of years longer yet and it's just a shame because it, you know cricket in zimbabwe it's it seemed like they they you know they recaptured the public imagination a bit and you know they're having 
uh, we, we saw some pretty wild crowds in, in the qualifiers and, and that series against Ireland had, had great crowds. So it seemed like the game was kind of on the upswing. And yeah, it's, it's just unfortunate, isn't it? This, uh, <laughs> these, these recriminations that always seem to happen. Yeah, and our, our Ireland are uh, visiting them again in, in, in a couple of weeks' time. So we'll have to see if um, the, you know, the, the, the public is still on side. I think they're all at uh, all, all the games are at Harari Sports Club again. And obviously in the qualifier when they were, you know, winning the place was alive but whether or not that translates to a, a bilateral series after you've just missed out on two world cups well we'll, we'll, we'll soon find out i guess mm. hopefully hopefully it's it's a great venue when it when it does come alive uh, with you know some some very passionate fans but uh yeah that uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they stay home after the the kind of shambolic performance we've, we've seen um quickly moving on to the other teams kenya i think they were kind of okay. They looked pretty bad early on, but they they rallied and um, managed to at least put in a respectable performance. They they had Namibia, yeah, I think they were four down for forty-ish. Uh, so you know, a bit bit of a concern. But as we said, Namibia just has so much depth. They uh, they they managed to push through. Uh, I mean, yeah, they they were they looked like they almost could have lost that game against Rwanda, which. You know, Rwanda, I don't think, won a game in the whole tournament. Um, so, you know, I, Kenya, they're kind of, in my opinion, around where they deserve to be, which is sort of middle of the pack at African associate level. They're, they're certainly a long way from the from the glory days of a World Cup semi-final, that's for sure. But I don't think they're going to get much worse than this. There's my bold prediction on <laughs> on, on Kenyan cricket. Well, I, th- I think the, the, the thought I've had, certainly in, in the last couple of weeks, is that they've sort of steadied that slide. That Obviously, it's been a very long slide. You know, best part of 20 years they've been um, falling from that, that World Cup semi-final. But I think, you know, they, they've found themselves... Towards the bottom end of the Challenge League, but in the in the second half, the, the, those final couple of rounds, they they managed to avoid being relegated out of the Challenge League, which was a, which was a good finish for them, uh, having you know been very close run with Italy for for much of that. Uh, and then, I mean, I think they've picked up a little bit in T20s recently. They they weren't you know hugely convincing against the teams ranked below them in this tournament, but at the same time, they they, they pulled a win out of a difficult situation against Nigeria. Shaman Gotche slammed a few boundaries at the end to, to pull off a, a chase with, with a ball to spare. And they had moments against Uganda and Namibia in particular, uh, where, where they did get the, the opposition under pressure. But maybe they're, they're just l- lacking the depth to sustain that against the, the teams ranked above them. Um, just briefly, I mean, we can. Uh, there's not a whole lot to write home about for Tanzania and Rwanda. Both of them were, were quite bad. Uh, Tanzania almost beat Kenya in, in an early game, but. Other than that, they were they were pretty poor. Um, they did beat Rwanda, but uh, you know Rwanda were definitely the worst team at the tournament. Um, yeah, just pretty disappointing. I mean, Tanzania in recent time have been kind of around the Kenya Nigeria level, but they've they've really yeah they really struggled at this tournament. Yeah, I mean Tanzania had a little blip where they were particularly competitive with with Uganda. Um, at the same time, Steve Tokolo was coach, but he's He's moved on now. He's coaching Nigeria, um, ironically, and they've sort of caught up and passed. So, yeah, um, a little bit disappointing from them. Uh, and they were a little bit ahead of Rwanda, who, you know, I mean, their, their men's team isn't as competitive as as their women's team, but they looked, you know, a performance level beha- a further behind even, you know, Tanzania and N- Nigeria here. I think they were, they did fairly well to get past Botswana 
and and make the regional final. But yeah, I think they were, you know, um, a, a good distance further further back. Moving on to the women's side of the game and the equivalent tournament to this one, the the women's T20 Africa qualifier. Uh, being hosted in Uganda, in Entebbe, uh, from the 9th to the 17th of December. Uh, eight teams are competing for the two uh, slots at the Global Qualifier, which is going to be held early next year. Uh, so we've got Botswana, Kenya, Namibia, Nigeria, Rwanda, Tanzania, Uganda, and Zimbabwe. Uh, the teams are split into two groups of four. Uh, we've got Group A with Botswana, Kenya, Tanzania, and Zimbabwe, and Group B with Namibia, Nigeria, Rwanda, and Uganda. And uh, out of those two groups of four, there'll be crossover semifinals, which will be uh, uh, qualifiers. So the, the two winners of the semifinals go to the global qualifiers. Yeah, I mean, so so a pretty exciting tournament as well coming up. Uh, a lot of uh, tight cricket, I think, coming. Uh, Zimbabwe, probably the favourites. Uh, but, you know, there's not a huge, uh, huge gap between them and Namibia and... You know, Uganda, Nigeria, even Rwanda. I mean, that Group B is looking like a, a real group of death because um, Nigeria and Rwanda have both beaten Uganda and, you know, Uganda and Namibia are pretty evenly matched, I would say. So that's a that's a tough one. But yeah, Group A may be a little bit more straightforward uh, with, with Zimbabwe well ahead and, and it'll be down to Kenya and Tanzania. But uh, yeah, just, just after one exciting African qualifying tournament, we've got uh, another one straight on its heels. So so we've been pretty spoiled for, for African cricket recently. Yeah, there's, um, a, there's a slight sense of deja vu in a way, isn't there? I, I feel like we've just seen seven of these eight teams play a, a, a regional qualifier um, with, the, with the addition of, of Botswana in this one. Uh, but yeah, we've got two teams going to the, the global qualifier next year, which will have, you know, 10 teams competing for the last two at the the women's T20 World Cup and yeah this this should be very competitive Zimbabwe won the won, won the regional qualifier last time out the time before I think Namibia took that place I think maybe Zimbabwe were were suspended at the time so yeah you'd think yeah Zimbabwe and Namibia perhaps a little bit ahead but then you look at the tournaments like Kwabuka and Rwanda won that earlier this year but only just ahead of Uganda and you know Tanzania have been very strong. They've just been to to Hong Kong, and well, I, they they were defeated twice by Hong Kong, but they they also beat Nepal. So yeah, there's there's lots of strong teams here, and even if Zimbabwe look favourites on paper, we we have just seen them miss out um, on on the men's side. So it's not impossible to see that see it happening again. Yeah, and I mean thinking back to the equivalent event, uh, the the women's qualifiers in uh, 2021. You know, Zimbabwe made it out of the semifinals by only 14 runs ahead of Uganda. This was a couple of years ago, but, uh, you know, Precious Marange hit uh, some, some late runs and, and that was basically the difference between the teams. And I guess looking ahead to this tournament, I think that's going to be the difference between the teams is the batting. And Zimbabwe just does have a bit more quality especially compared to the associates and the women's side. Uh, Namibia maybe will be competitive in terms of batting, but yeah, Zimbabwe are definitely the best women's batting lineup. But I, I think most of these teams have the bowlers to restrict opponents. But yeah, it'll just be the batting. You mentioned that Kwabuka that Rwanda won. Um, yeah, they, they beat Uganda. Uh, Nigeria actually beat Uganda at that Kwabuka as well. That was the last 
serious outing for most of these teams. Uh, Zimbabwe hosted a Zimbabwe hosted a, a South African emerging team in November, which uh, they they lost that series two three to the to the South Africans. It was a uh, not a super strong team. There are a couple of players who who'd played. A decent amount of uh, international cricket for South Africa. Andre Stain, Tumi Sekakune, you know, a couple of players with experience. A couple of other players who've, who've played sort of one or two matches. Um, I, th- I think Nondamiso Shangasi might have played a couple of games. Anri Dexon, you know, one or two T20s or something. Um, and, and the rest of the team uh, are sort of fringe players who, who haven't uh, got a senior cap yet. So, you know, not the strongest A team that, that South Africa probably could have put out, but uh, a, a good warm up for Zimbabwe. You know, and and in that series, Zimbabwe's batting was the weaker side, but you know that they they managed to get over the line a couple of times. Um, you know, sort of the usual suspects, I guess you could say. Um, players like Marianne Masondo, uh, Chipo Mugheri Tirupano. You know, Mugheri Tirupano was the one who got Zimbabwe home in uh, one of their victories. It was an eight over sort of DLS uh, thrash out. Um, you know they have they have dangerous hitters going down the order, which you know who can hurt associate teams at this level. You know Josephine and Como, Lorraine Tashuma. But you know on the flip side in that series against the the South African emerging side, um, the Zimbabweans, yeah they shuffled the batting lineup a bit. A couple of them looked out of form. Uh, Modesta Mupachikwa, for example, <laughs> didn't get out of single figures. Precious Morange didn't do a whole lot. Um, you know Ashley Indiraya. I think she got one score maybe. So, you know, the the the, the Zimbabweans are probably vulnerable. The, the question is just, you know, can teams restrict them enough to to sort of allow weaker batting lineups to get over the line? Because, you know, you look at someone like a Uganda and, you know, Rita Musamali, Kevin Owino, Janet Mbabazi, that's the sort of the senior batters and they, they really haven't stood up recently. Stephanie Nampina was okay in that, uh, Quebuco tournament, but yeah, they really they got to the final on the strength of their bowling rather than their batting. Um, Kenya, you know, same again. It's basically Quintor able or bust. Uh, she was <laughs> she was the top run scorer and wicket taker in the women's uh, Division Two tournament in September, where they they qualified up from. <sighs> yeah, so I mean, looking at these teams, basically it's going to be a question of whether their bowling can can match Zimbabwe if they're going to get past them or yeah on the other side of things pretty open slot there especially I can't get over this group B because yeah Rwanda Nigeria Uganda I mean they're they're all pretty evenly matched and then Namibia and Uganda are not too far apart either yeah um I think we 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 say it a fair bit but uh certainly bowling is is you know the key to winning games at, at this level uh and certainly coming up against a side like Zimbabwe who have got on paper a very strong uh strong batting lineup will be one of one of the key tests for you know all, all the teams that, that go up against them particularly those facing them should they make the semi-finals uh in those you know uh, all, all important knockout games uh but yeah um certainly the, there'll be a lot to look out for here uh and these teams should be quite competitive one little thing uh Kenya have already been in Uganda Uganda obviously the hosts of this um qualifier kenya got there a little bit ahead of time played a warm-up series but it was mostly washed out uh, they weren't official t20is either uh but uganda a, a little bit ahead in the in the games that, that did get played 
yeah, um, <laughs> four four no results uh, out of six matches. I mean, that's that's not ideal. But um, yeah, it seems like it was raining a lot. It was, it was interesting. It was played at Serenity Oval, uh, which is in Kamengo, a little bit outside Kampala. Um, and that's a recently completed one. Uh, I think the MCC toured there maybe either earlier this year or, or, or sort of on the second half of last year. And yeah, it's, it's kind of been a bit of a development project to give Uganda uh, another venue uh, alongside the, the Entebbe and uh, and Kampala venues. Um, so yeah, interesting um, to, to see them get a game or, or well, to, to get several games, but um, <laughs> most of them rained out. A couple of victories to Uganda. They weren't super dominant, uh, seven runs and, and then a, a pretty comfortable seven-wicket victory. The bowling, yeah, as, as we said, the bowling was kind of the, the strong point there. Uh, Kenya's batting, a real worry. I mean, yeah, if, if Quintor Abel doesn't have a huge tournament, I don't really see Kenya being able to, to put together strong totals, especially since um, Daisy and Jiroge, who was, I think, the second top run scorer in that Div 2 campaign uh, a couple of months ago, uh, I'm not sure why, but she doesn't seem to be in the touring squad. But yeah, so Flavia Odiambo, one to watch with the ball, I would say, as as a as a seam option. Um, Quinto Abel, obviously, uh, as well, <laughs> going to be in the wickets. Um, yeah, I, I think Kenya are just a bit too reliant on, on one or two players. Whereas Uganda, looking at that bowling lineup, they do have a lot more options. Konsi Aweko, uh, Evelyn Anyupo, Arena Lume, Will be interesting to see how many overs Fiona Kalume bowls. She she didn't bowl a whole lot um, at the Kubuka, which was I think her last uh, her last run on the field. But she had the best run rate for Uganda, so yeah, that was kind of interesting. Um, and yeah, I mean Namibia, you would expect uh, all the sort of uh, regular suspects: uh, uh, Adri van der Merwe, um, you know, Irene van Zyl, uh, Victoria Hamuniela, and at the top of the order, who she kind of, she goes in and out of, of looking like uh, she's going to be very reliable and, and then sort of, uh, she, she's had a bit of a, a poor run of form in uh, recent times. But uh, yeah, hopefully uh, she can get it together at the top of the order because, you know, she, she can be very reliable batter. And even just having someone help them bat all their 20 overs, you know, that can help uh, put, put together a, a decent total. And you know, if if they if things go as we expect with uh, Zimbabwe probably topping Group A, and then you know you you just you want to avoid them in that semi-final, um, and yeah, I, I think Namibia maybe their sort of uh, their first priority is going to be to to win their group uh, so that they avoid Zimbabwe. But uh, yeah, maybe, maybe that's looking a bit too far ahead though. Yeah, there's a there's a fair bit of uh, cricket to be played before then, but I absolutely I agree. Avoiding Zimbabwe in that semi-finals uh, will, will be a good one to do. Um, and finally, we have the Under-19s Asia Cup being played in the UAE, as uh, so much cricket is these days, uh, from the 8th to the 17th of December. We've got Japan's first outing. Uh, I, I think they're still not technically an ACC member yet, but they're kind of... Uh, uh, orbiting that process and, and I, I think they're looking pretty closely at, at, at trying to join um, and we also have Nepal and UAE so we have three associates playing tough draw for Nepal who are in with uh, Pakistan, India and Afghanistan uh, even though they won the under-19s Premier Cup uh, UAE and Japan are in with Bangladesh and Sri Lanka so yeah I mean I, you would you would think that the uh, full members are probably going to have the the better of it here, but uh, 
I think the, the the real story here is just Japan getting into an ACC event because that's always been uh, one of the draw cards of the ACC is their extensive uh, pathway events and, and underage events. And um, the, the fact that Japan is, is able to access that, even though they're not an ACC member, but they're staying in the East Asia Pacific region, you know, I think I think that's great for cricket. And, and hopefully we see a bit more of this kind of thing. Yeah, they've got themselves into a sort of best of both worlds scenario where they're playing their ICC tournaments in the in the East Asia Pacific region, which is you know less populated and less competitive. So perhaps they're a step closer to to global tournaments. But then they're also in on the on some of these uh, smaller ACC pathways, which is obviously a great op- development opportunity because the ACC, being the uh, bi- being the biggest regional body gets to put on a lot of these tournaments, mostly funded by smashing India and Pakistan together in, in, in Asia Cups every other year. So yeah, that, that, that works out very well for them and hopefully they they, they go well. Obviously, they'll have a game against the, the, the UAE to play uh, given they've got two associates in their group. And then I don't know I don't know if they did any seeding for this, but it, it seems very rough on the poll to have been put in with three full members, including India and, and, and Pakistan despite you know winning winning the uh, the qualifier which was held earlier this year uh, it would have been more interesting to see how they stacked up against you know Sri Lanka or Bangladesh who maybe appear a, a little bit weak at these at this level more often than not but yeah a little bit unlucky for them but I guess they get to play the the, the, the big teams which you know good exposure for them yeah so it, yeah they, they, that has its own kind of benefits is, is playing the, the best teams um but yeah I, I agree it doesn't doesn't make a huge amount of sense to me but uh who knows um I, I think most of these associate teams are, are basically just uh there for the experience anyway uh, it will be interesting to see uh, the uae versus japan clash there just as a bit of a gauge of, of where they're up to because uae over the last few years has been one of the better teams at youth level in terms of producing quality talent that that then sort of graduates into the national team and um you know japan's japan's underage team has had uh, its moments of success. They were, yeah, they, they had New Zealand in a spot of bother at the under 19s East Asia Pacifics, but uh, obviously New Zealand too strong in the end. Um, so yeah, it will be an interesting little uh, yardstick here between, uh, you know, cross ICC region play, and and that's always good to see. Yeah, we we often see uh, UAE and Nepal going head to head with each other, especially in the uh, the under 19 World Cup qualifiers. So those two are definitely the best two in their region and then yeah how japan stacks up against that will be very interesting particularly given they have had you know trips to the under 19 world cup in the not too distant past so yeah they're certainly one of the stronger teams in the in the eap region well that's about all we've got time for this week tom uh thanks a lot for joining us on emerging cricket thanks for having me on again and thanks again to our listeners for tuning in and remember that you can stay up to date with all the latest cricketing news from around the world at emergingcricket.com or by following us on your favorite social media platforms. Bye for now.